Hello, Hello and, and welcome, welcome to Ungodly, the Magical Grimoireum. <laughs> Hi, Besh. How are you doing? I am excellent, my lovely Avery. How are you? Good, thank you. It's a nice early morning for us and beautifully white outside. Yes, white and melty and then frozen and then melty and then frozen and slippery. <laughs> so everybody drive safe. <laughs> Indeed. Um, well, if you're new here, welcome. We have kind of an interesting episode. This is a bit of a trailer. The story will be coming soon um, today. And we're also just going to have some little talking points about Krampus and maybe a little bit about German folklore. Yeah. And just to be clear, the reason that we're having a trailer is because we are actually wrapping up our first season. Can you guys believe that? Thank you so much for everyone who's been listening, and we still have um, at least a couple stories. Oh, for for <laughs> I still haven't learned to turn off my phone. <laughs> we have a couple of stories in our back pockets left for season one. Um, but if you are new, this is a good place to jump in. So welcome. Absolutely, and uh, for the six hundred plus people that aren't new. Welcome back. <laughs> so yeah, the story today kind of goes around Krampus. Um, if you are unfamiliar, this is a demon-like creature um, that they celebrate in uh, Alpine folklore. Um, so that's like places like Germany, Austria, Czech Republic. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's a really creepy creature who's supposed to walk alongside Saint, Saint Nicholas or Santa Claus. And while he, uh, St. Nick is giving out treats of like dried fruit and walnuts, uh, Krampus is going around with his stick whacking children who have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it has really struck big in the U.S. in the last, I don't know, decade or so. Yeah, um, and actually in Indiana, uh, they had this Krampuslauf, which is like um, a, a Krampus run. And that's where everyone's dressed up as Krampus and they're going around being mischievous. And Good that... pronunciation, by the way. Hmm? Good pronunciation. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if y'all will agree. But <laughs> so in Indiana, um, they had 31,000 spectators at the, wow. Kramp the, the Krampus Lauf. Wow. That's, uh, that's about how many people are still waiting for JFK to return in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's like actually becoming quite the phenomena. And um, some people think that Christmas is like a little bit too fake and materialistic. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I tend to sway that way. Um, and I agree that it might be a good time to kind of face our society's shadow side and our own personal shadow sides, like along with the darkness outside. Kind of like how the, the modern Christmas is actually just a whitewashing of pagan genocide. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, uh, Yule, um, the winter solstice, directly relates to Christmas time. Of course. And yeah. that Yule is a pagan tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and also, even past Victorian times, um, telling ghost stories at, in the darkness of the winter 
at the darkest spots is very natural because, you know, there's longer nights and you're cozying up and you're trying to entertain each other. So it's yeah. a long held tradition, um, ghosts during Christmas time and, and demons and ghouls and stuff. Um, so yeah. it's not just related to Halloween. No, it's, it's true. I mean, spring brings out the romance poets and darkness brings out the dark thoughts. um and i don't know if you're talking about cryptids a little bit today bash oh yeah we uh we probably should fit a little bit of that in given that in our previous episode we had mentioned what would classify as a cryptid the the reshat uh but perhaps we'll dive into that a little bit more later would you consider demons or krampus a cryptid like personally uh well i mean it would be because cryptids, sorry, just for anyone who doesn't know, is the, uh, things like um, Bigfoot or Nessie, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it would be a theory about Krampus to, to, call, to call him a, a cryptid. Um, and it would actually fit in with a, a few other cryptids, you know, sort of like the, the half goat, half man kind of a thing going on. And uh, yeah, but I would say that one in particular might be a bit of a stretch. I'd say it's more so a, a folkloric archetype. Okay, interesting. Um, he's actually related to the devil, mm-hmm. it, it appears, at least. Yeah. Um, he has a lot of devil sort of qualities. And it's probably a good idea to distinguish between the devil and Satan. and like. Mm, good point. The idea of the devil is, is more so uh, a folk generality and is sort of a, a collective consciousness amalgam of ideas of mischievous things going awry against you Hmm. right did you know that in the pagan tradition the stick so the stick that krampus carries is basically uh you know seen as a phallic penis symbol he's just walking around waving a dildo beating kids with it yes (laughs) fucking germans (laughs) i say that with all due love i am german too so don't worry about it No, but um, I love alpine folklore, and I am (laughs) so happy for Krampus's existence. Um, I hope that the children are okay who celebrate Krampus. I just have this Uh, idea of the hormone monster from Big Mouth going around just bashing people. Like maybe that's where it comes from. (laughs) Well, without further ado, should we get into the story? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's dive in, my love. As the darkest days of winter approached, so did Krampus, a fact that E.T.A. Hoffman was very aware. Born in 1776, Ernst Theodore Amadeus Hoffman was a German artist, writer, and composer. Adoring music so, he changed his middle name from Wilhelm to Amadeus in homage to the composer. Little did E.T.A. know, his 1816 published story, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King, would become one of the most famous musical scores and ballets, performed yearly across the globe. His works tended to explore the less savory parts of humanity. One technique he used to do this was creating anti-heroes that were ghastly abominations of another realm. On a white Christmas Eve in 1815, E.T.A. prepared himself for a Christmas time dreamland adventures. Ooh, that sounds exciting. (laughs) Having partially grown up in Germany, 
he knew that the long dark days brought about ghostly apparitions and great works of the imagination. Indeed, he'd met Krampus on several Christmas times. He was no longer a child and wasn't afraid of being beaten by the ghoul, if he hadn't been a good boy that year. Figure of his imagination or otherwise, ETA hoped to talk to Krampus that night about the other realm. Oh, what he could put in his next story. First, ETA had to make the setting right. He blowed his reading candles, settled down into bed, and decided to leave his right foot out of the blankets. What could be more enticing than that for a malevolent being? <laughs> he shut his eyes and relaxed. There! On the verge of sleep, he felt something scratch his foot. It wasn't a large claw, but several tiny ones. He tipped his head down and saw a dark, shadowy figure about the size of a child's mitten. It had what looked to be seven heads. The heads had points crowning from it. Or were the heads indeed wearing crowns? Beside his shoulder, he heard a voice. So there, you've met the Mouse King, all seven heads. Hot breath came with the voice. The smell of rotting flesh was familiar to ETA. Krampus had arrived. A symphony erupted around him, and he was whisked away into the night's adventures. Mm. Whisked away into the night's adventures. How creepy Christmassy. <laughs> yes, and very Nutcracker. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this story and yeah. the doll kingdom that um, uh, some people call her Marie, which is the original character, or Clara yeah. in the current Nutcracker. Um, she's whisked away into a doll kingdom with the sugar plum fairy. It uh, it almost re also reminds me of uh, Labyrinth, the, the movie with David Bowie. Which I still haven't seen! Everybody... Hit her up in the comments. Tell her that she must see it. Anyway, <laughs> it's relevant. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny because I actually had a bit that I had to take out because uh, uh, E.T.A. Hoffman and Dickens, Charles Dickens, their styles and stories are very similar in concept. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like fighting for the underdog uh, yeah. through whimsy and adventure and magic. And also the struggle of the lower social class. Yes, exactly. And so I actually confused him for a moment uh, with Dickens, who was into mesmerism. And Franz Anton Mesmer is a person we've talked about a lot. Um, he was into animal magnetism and trying to help people um, medically through um, this animal magnetism and hypnosis. Um, so anyway, so I had a bit in there <laughs> about his interest in Franz, Franz Anton Mesmer and the paranormal, but then I had to, <laughs> as we were reading it, take out, take it out because <laughs> I realized my error. <laughs> the due diligence and research troubles of one who's got the mind of a journalist. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it is interesting because we do kind of relate the Victorian era, which is like... Um, I actually wrote it down, 1837 to 1901, just to put into mm. context. 
um, we we kind of relate that to Christmas time because that's when the Christmas Carol by Dickens came out. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. spiritualism was very big in the Victorian era. Yeah, so, he kind of scoffed at that though, didn't he? Um, a little bit, but he had an interest in mesmerism because of what it could mean for the capabilities of man, whether that mm. was with technology or from within. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The neurotechnology of our own minds. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think he didn't maybe realize it. I don't want to come off condescending, but maybe he was a bit of a um, a down-to-earth spiritualist. Hmm. I mean. Dismissive of the woo-woo, but not what it presents. Yes, yeah. Um, also, around the Victorian era, era that's when we had uh, Madame Blavatsky, which makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. She's appeared a lot in our stories, the famous spiritualist and fortune teller. Indeed, indeed. Who created her own sort of a religion. <laughs> so just a couple of other points about Dickens and mesmerism. Um, he actually like used therapeutic techniques based on mesmerism on his wife, oh. family, and friends. Yeah, kind of like Freud, eh? He's just like, oh, I'm just going to experiment on my family. <laughs> <laughs> Very exciting stuff. <laughs> um, so, okay, just to explain it a little bit, uh, kind of what Mesmer had done was that he used like a magnet that would control apparently a universal fluid in the body. So maybe what we would call chi, the kind of mm. just the energy mm -hmm. running through us. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this magnet would manipulate it, and then Mesmer could sedate patients. And this technique was actually used for, like, amputations and lobotomies. Oh, fun stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All sorts of fun stuff. <laughs> so kind of a clinical hypnosis. Wait, did he lobotomize his family? No, no, no. We're talking about Mesmer again now. Okay, okay. Turn <laughs> me off for a second there. <laughs> but then, of course, then anesthesia started to be in use and mesmerism and, and this type of clinical hypnosis quickly went by the wayside. You know, I don't think that enough people understand that there is a certain weird magic to the science of anesthesia too. Like, mm. the fact that Essentially, the same concentration of anesthetic gas will take out any conscious creature, no matter oh, what, yeah. whether it's a bee or an elephant or a human, the same concentration is, is all it takes. It's very bizarre, and it's not very much either. Like, it's frighteningly little. Oh, that is interesting. Like, one could hypothetically just blow off a, a like, consciousness-eliminating gas bomb in a populated area and just, like make city blocks pass out. It's crazy. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's a type of, I guess, dark magic or good, depending how you look at it, which is really what magic depending is. Depending on how you use it, too. Yeah, which is really what magic is like. It depends on how you use it. Uh, disclaimer, not advising anybody go and anesthetize entire cities. Please don't do that. That's very <laughs> irresponsible. You should always have consent. <laughs> yes, please. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about the Mouse King. I always mm. thought it was really unique and weird how the Mouse King has seven heads. Yeah, that's quite peculiar. Yeah, and researching it, it doesn't seem like in Germany there's a huge uh, significance of the number seven. Um, but we do know that in several cultures, they see it as the number seven numerog- numerologically, um, which is a type of magic in its own, mm. um, as like looking deeper within oneself. Yeah, yeah, sort of like the the inquisitive nature of good old jovial Jupiter. Yeah, um, and I find this really interesting because even though the Mouse King with seven heads is evil, and he, but he he instigates this whole adventure basically with the Nutcracker and Marie. Mm-hmm. Um, And she's, through this whole adventure, able to see kind of a deeper meaning in life than being under control of her bourgeoisie, very controlling parents. Right. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, that that actually makes me think about uh, like some some Balkan and Serbian lore or not to not to over specify, but there's there's a lot of dragons that show up and a number of them are seven headed dragons. often with either multicolored necks and heads or uh, there's there's one that's all seven white heads on a red body uh, and that generally has that sort of notion that you're talking about where it's uh, sort of shucking off the aristocratic bourgeois feudalist shit storm that you're stuck in and you're being like I'm not putting up with this. <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) Um, There's also kind of an idea that the Mouse King might be referring to the Rat King. And Mm. in Germany, this is actually like a phenomenon that happened a lot in Germany. Um, This is a little gross, but... It's not the same as Pizza Rat in New York. Just let's start there. (laughs) (laughs) But mice were found... Um, with their tails all tied together, like, like almost like they got entangled with string or something gooey and gummy. Um, and it would just be this weird, I think, environmental occurrence that they would call a rat king. Lovely. Yeah. So if you want to, I don't know, like Germany to me is just the place of very dark, crazy folklore um you know they have their uh is it called the forbidden forest no black forest um where a lot of these where lots of these stories are based and i don't know it just makes me wonder things like them having found rat kings yeah that's that's quite curious like it makes me think would it be perhaps uh, a larger animal that's just like kind of collecting them and trying to bring them perhaps to their young and it just has like something in the saliva that's binding and it just like ties their tails together with its tongue for convenience or something like or is it a part of a ritual Ooh, (laughs) maybe maybe also in the next episode um we'll talk about german folktales um and alpine folklore and their darkness um and i think it would be really cool to discuss the bizarre magical backgrounds of ETA and Dickens and just 
compare just a little bit um because some credit dickens as having saved christmas during the terrible labor-intensive um industrial revolution and like i said um eta's stories were also kind of based on some social issues um and they both tackled them with like really cool symbolism and sort of magical concepts so it'd be kind of cool to take a a deeper dive into that i agree I think that would be a, a wonderful subject matter to explore in depth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I guess we'll just kind of like end with our socials and. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll start with the socials. Okay. Um, so facebook.com slash ungodly podcast. Actually, sorry. That's facebook.com slash un.godly podcast. And Instagram is at un.godlypodcast. Twitter is at un underscore godly podcast. If you want to rate this podcast and help us out, um, you can do that on your platform. Or if you're not really sure how to do it, just whatever device you're on, type in ratethispodcast.com slash ungodly. And they'll literally tell you through your device how to do it. Which is pretty convenient. Yeah, it's interactive. It's really cool. Um, and also for us to be seen more, if you wouldn't mind, um, on your internet browser, going to podchaser.com and finding us and rating us there. It's just a really good podcast community and helps people who are interested in podcasts find us. Exactly. Because I mean, we can only do so much to get our word out and we're doing our best and you guys are helping us amazingly. So, uh, but ideally the more visibility we have, the more time we'll have to devote to creating the kind of content that... So many of you seem to be enjoying, and we definitely enjoy putting together for you. Yeah, and um, we might cut this out, but I'm just thinking maybe we want to let you guys know that we are having a book put together of our previous stories um, in a graphic novel format. Um, so if you have just jumped in, like have no fear, they're very like easily easily digestible. And we'll make those available probably on Amazon, but we'll see if there's another avenue to do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll 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 shop it around a little bit to to the best of our abilities and feasible operations. But yes, I think this is very exciting, and uh, why not, you know, open this this gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the illustrator is my wonderful uncle, um, George Tanner. So. We're really excited about this. A huge shout out and thank you to him because this is just an incredible project to be working on with my wife and now also with him. And it's just all coming together ever so nicely. And we just appreciate all of you who are taking the time out of your day to pay attention to our strange hobby here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of strange hobby, cryptozoology. Crypto. Cryptozoology, so that's cryptids and their zoology. Yeah, well, okay, so a cryptid is uh, that which is studied in cryptozoology. Uh, the terms are coined by, um, so I'm going to go with Hoevelmans. Uh He was a biologist and explorer, who, a naturalist who, uh, along with Ivan Sanderson, um, basically created the entire what we call cryptozoology today. Uh, the idea wasn't necessarily that they were looking for mystical creatures, but that they were just positing that perhaps some things had carried over and had hidden very well. 
Hmm. Uh, you know, perhaps from prehistoric times, like they posited the existence perhaps of pterodactyl-like creatures, uh, carryovers that just managed to make themselves so obscure that uh, they were left to, to lore rather than to biology. And uh, so that was sort of the whole idea. Um, but while I was looking into all this, I found that there were curious correlations um, between some of the things that were revealed to the Conmari and some of the things that were revealed to uh, some of these investigators. So in, in Consara, there's a, there's a creature that I guess would otherwise classify as a cryptid called a Wamoi. And the Wamoi is very large, uh, sort of bat-like creature. Um, there's a few peculiarities about it. Its, its hairs are forward-facing, um, so that when it flies at high velocities, they, they come off. They're, they're, they act sort of like um, aromatic, urticating hairs. Like tarantulas, they'll kick off the hairs on their back legs to, to irritate something that's chasing after them, uh, and they can be very damaging even. Um, but for this, what it does is it, instead of causing uh, severe itching and skin reactions like it does with a tarantula, what this does is it generates this horrific odor and it, it will spread these, these sort of aromatic hairs over a, a swatch of territory. Um, they're notoriously possessive of, of their, their breeding and feeding grounds. And so if they see anything move that isn't their food, then they swoop down with this horrible shriek, this Yeah. And that's actually where the Conseron word for mine comes from. Yek. Oh cool. Yeah. And so they're they're these very bothersome creatures. Um and the smell is like this sort of rotting acrid meat smell. Um but anyway, moving on. There's this other creature that uh, has nothing to do with Kansara whatsoever. Uh, and it's called the Olatiol. I might be mispronouncing that, um, but I'm doing my best. So the Olatiol, uh, when it's going through the air, it makes this weird kind of a sound, which is similar to the sound of the, the wings of the Wamoe as described by the, the Kamari as well. Um, so they, they found this, this Oletiao, uh, sorry, Ivan Sanderson uh, and uh, Gerald Russell. What year was this in, this work? Uh, they, were, they were cruising around Cameroon in uh, about 1932. Okay. Um, and uh, Cameroon is also where the Wamoe would have been found. Uh, it was supposed to be a, like a Central African... Anyway. So are we talking... We're not talking about the Wamoe right now? We're talking about... Right now we're talking about the, the Oletiao. Uh, I think that there might be a correspondence between the two. Okay. Um, so at the time they were they were out hunting for hammerhead bats, which are the the largest known bats on the planet. Uh, they've got a, a wingspan of up to about three feet or so, which is pretty impressive for a bat. Um, but the the Oletiao is reported to have a wingspan of up to about twelve feet. Whoa. Yeah, and that's that's more in correspondence with what a Wamoe would look like, or perhaps even uh, what the Jersey Devil would look like, according to some reports, which is another curious cryptid thing, um, but a little bit more specific to America, 
Uh, and I'm not sure if that's perhaps an archetypal carryover or if it's maybe just one that skipped a continent over. Why not? Hmm. We, we should never underestimate the, the travel of animals. Um, right. And also our theory, mostly, I think you and I agree that with the sighting of some fourth dimensional creatures like Bigfoot, it might sound crazy, but maybe they're not even on our plane. So that's why we just catch glimpses of them. Like now that we're, you know, mm. getting more knowledge about quantum physics and the possibilities. Like ships passing in the night. Yeah. Who's to say, right? Yeah. So tying this back into uh, some German folklore, though, mm. there's another one that's called the Snallygaster which it's actually called the Schnellgeist, okay. the quick spirit. Um, but Snellgasser because it ended up being essentially um, Pennsylvania Dutch, which I don't know why we even call it that because most of them aren't Dutch. But anyway, in the colonies in the early days of the, of the U.S., um, there was this creature called the Snellgasser that was apparently causing all sorts of havoc in uh, Frederick County. This is in the 1730s. Okay. Um, yeah, so this, uh, apparently it's still reported occasionally, but the Snallygaster was uh, known to have, and I'm quoting here, enormous wings, long pointed bill, claws like steel hooks, and an eye in the center of its forehead. And it was described as being a half bird and half reptile which, again, would quite match up with accounts of the Wamoe or the Olito. Um, and this is something that I found really interesting. It was reported on numerous occasions that the, the Snallagasser or the Schnellgeist would screech, and I quote again, like a locomotive whistle. Hmm. So, and this is, of course, back in the day of steam trains and I'm not sure how many people have, have heard those recently, but they've got a very distinct sound to them. And that also goes back to the the air going like like uh, was reported with the Oletiao in Cameroon. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like this, the Snallygaster thing was so widely known and acknowledged and reported on that it got to the point that Theodore Roosevelt himself was actually going to go out and hunt one. Oh, wild. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, when people talk about cryptids, there's a lot of people that want to just say, oh, well, you know, the chupacabra is, is nothing but just wild dogs with mange, etc., etc. There's a lot of dismissive attitudes towards it. But I think that the more you look into reports, the more you realize that there are some strange curiosities. And it's very arrogant to assume that we just happen to know all of biology already and i think that's why it's perhaps the most fascinating because it's it's wide open just like magic there's so much to explore and for us to think that we know it all is pretty foolhardy yeah no i used to think in in my childhood how it was interesting that um i you know, kind of was really excited about monsters and ghosts and stuff like that. And I was like, why can't there be things like that in real life? And then I remember as a kid actually being like, oh, but there are. Like, if you yeah. have never seen a whale or a shark before, like, that is a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Tigers and, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's just how you look at the world. Um, but man, this is a cool, interesting, wild place. And if you kind of go through life with that lens, you will never be bored. And there's always more to find, if not just in this realm, then beyond as well, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of that, um, so not only in the, the Christmas episode that is upcoming, which is the start of our new season, um, not only will we be finishing our uh, Krampus tale here, um, but we'll be discussing um, maybe necromancy and mm. a, a current day practitioner that, that'll be fictional, but um, real practices that occur yeah. Um, in the present time, um, necromancy is uh, kind of connecting with the dead through communication. So that'll be really interesting to research and explore and write about. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had some peculiar experiences with it myself. And it's, uh, it's something that a lot of people have, I think, um, just a knee-jerk reaction of disdain toward. And uh, that's well worth shedding. It's, it's been a practice of humanity for millennia and for good reason. Uh, don't ignore the ancients. Good words to uh, live by and leave off on. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much for doing this with me, love. It's been a pleasure. Yes, and thank you guys for tuning in. Um, happy beginning of the holiday season. Indeed, indeed. I can still do a woo. <laughs> <laughs> Have a Tim Burton Christmas. Spell it? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Hot bread.